If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 21. The title of today's message is God Fulfills His Promise. As we go through the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, we have an opportunity to be able to oh man, just learn from Abraham. We're going to be introduced to Isaac in his life as we continue on and ultimately Jacob. And Jacob will have the 12 sons of the nation of Israel. Those are the 12 tribes, uh, his sons. And so we'll see, really Joseph will take a prominent scene uh, the second to the last born of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and just just everything that he goes through. So this is Genesis 21, and God fulfills his promise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that you would open up the eyes and ears of our understanding. Lord, we thank you that within your word pertain all things to life and godliness the practical application of your word, Lord, is what we seek. We love to see how you interact with individuals because we know, Lord, that you don't change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, as we see your interaction, we can see, Lord, how you respond and interact with us. And so bless this time. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, and the Lord visited Sarah. This is Genesis chapter 21. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Really stood out to me just as an observation, something jumping off the page. As he had said, as he had spoken. So God communicated something 25 years previous to this time right here. Why so long? Why does it take so long for the promise to be fulfilled? Why does God delay in our lives, it seems, right? We pray, we, we ask God of certain things, and man, why does so much time at times have to go by? And we can see it here in Abraham's life as the father of the faith, as an individual who actually needed his faith to be developed. He needed to learn the nature of God. He needed to learn the, that he can trust God, that he can, man, that God says what he means and he means what he says and that God loves him and that God's desire was to use him mightily. And so all of these things as well take place in our lives. We don't get things instantaneously. And there's a lot of things that the Lord is trying to root out of our lives. The simplicity is we're not Christ-like and we're becoming Christ-like, Christian, to be like Christ-like. And so the Lord is molding us and shaping us into His image. And He does that with time and circumstances. Now, in the time and circumstances, we have an option. We can look to the Lord. And we're promised. What is our promise? Abraham and, and Sarah were promised something. What is our promise? We're promised that if we look to the Lord, we are guaranteed to grow better. It's a guarantee. But if we look away from the Lord, equally we are guaranteed to grow bitter. We begin to be confused. We begin to wonder, well, wait, wait. He's not responding the way I want him to. He's not doing exactly what I'm asking him to in the way and in the timing. And so we got to look to the Lord. we got to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. And we got to know the foundation of the fact that God loves us. He's madly in love with us. And he has an incredible plan for us. So... The time of 25 years from the promise 
But yet God fulfills his promise. And here it is right here. He visited Sarah. And I, I like how it says Sarah. God doesn't care per se about the culture and the fact that a woman's testimony or, or was anything in that culture. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to talk to my girl. This is my daughter. And she questioned whether this, this promise was just for Abraham and it was going to be his seed. And then they tried to help God out. And they tried to, you know, do in the flesh what only God can do in the spirit. And yet God endured. And he says, nah, that's not the son of promise. I'm gonna, you're going to have a child through Sarah. And notice God visits Sarah. He comes to his daughter personally and he, he lets her know. Moving on, verse 2. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his own, of his son, whom he born to him, whom Sarah born to him, again, Isaac. So originally, the name Isaac, meaning laughter, was, was a rebuke. Remember when God announced it and to Abraham? Abraham laughs, and he's just laughing at himself like, man, I'm a little old for this, Lord. You going to do this? This is crazy, okay? He laughs. But and then Sarah, she's behind the door, cup right on, on the door there. And she can hear the conversation that God is having with Abraham. And she laughs, but hers is more of a ridicule. Like, really? And yet God turns that around. And every time you mention laughter, other people are going to have the opportunity to rejoice and laugh at the fulfillment of God's promise. God turns around even these things that we do in our lives. And it's incredible to watch that. And that's one of the things that amazes me about God. Lord, how are you going to take my mistakes? Turn them around. You're going to take my mistakes. Lord, my, my very sin. And somehow, Lord, you're going to bring that back to bless me? Oh, God, you're so good. I don't even know how you do that. You must be God. So originally the name Isaac was meant as something of a rebuke of the laughter of Abraham and Sarah. But God turned a gentle rebuke into an occasion for joy. And we can see that in Genesis 17, 17 through 19, and Genesis 18, 12 through 15. Now Isaac became a wonderful type or picture of the Messiah to come, Jesus. Notice these similarities. Both were specially promised sons. Both conceptions were miraculous. Both were born after a period of delay. Both mothers were given assurance by truth of God's omnipotence. Both were given names rich with meaning before they were born. Both births occurred at God's appointed time, and both births were accompanied by great joy. And on that note, I, I want you to see that the scripture says in two different places that all of the Bible is pointing to Jesus. And so we have to be able to see Jesus in the midst of, of these stories of these human beings. And so the same thing is true with our lives. Jesus is the main focus of our lives as Christians. Verse 4, Then Abraham circumcised his son when Isaac was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who were here will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, for I have borne him a son in his old age. 
And so what a beautiful thing of God's fulfillment. His promises are yes and amen. Verse 8. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. We're not told his age. Um, three years old, six years old, 13 years old were different numbers that were put out there. I'm thinking he's pretty young if he's being weaned. Uh, so his mother's no longer nursing him. I'm thinking hopefully three-ish, um, not 13. Well, it's crazy. I don't know how they came up with that, but I read different things. And so if that's the case, um, then his brother Ishmael, the son of the flesh, is roughly about 16 or so. Verse 9, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. So Ishmael, at this little party of this celebration, this feast that they're having of, of Isaac being weaned, um, he's scoffing, he's making fun of. This child, And this is an interesting dynamic that is taking place here. We're watching in the midst of human beings' lives, God doing something prophetically, prophetic here, better word. Therefore she said, verse 10 to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight. Because of his son. Rightly so. So for 13 or so years. 16 years that Ishmael is now. He's grown up under this house. This is Abraham's son with Hagar. Um, Sarah was supposed to take and raise him as her own. But something is taking place there. And we've seen twice. Sarah give counsel to Abraham and him follow it. And it wasn't right. But here we see, ah, now Sarah is tuned in and she's seeing that, no, 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 we have a son of promise. There's something deeper. There's something greater going on here. And this right here, it's a big, gigantic deal. Verse 12, but God said to Abraham, do not let it be dis displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called, yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. And so Abraham, I know how you feel. I know that you don't want to cast her out. You don't want to cast your son out. But there's something bigger taking place here. I said that I would bless you through the seed of promise, not the seed that you were trying to help me out with in the flesh. Now this is gigantic dynamics for world history taking place here because Islam would look to Ishmael as the promised son and every morning a Muslim will pray really against this it's interesting and it's an interesting dynamic as you study the historical context of what's taking place the son of promise is clearly Isaac not Ishmael verse 14 so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Beersheba. Uh, you know that Abraham has a lot of stuff. And it's kind of interesting. There's, there's at least got to be an observation like, bro, a crust of bread and like a bottle of water? Really? 
couldn't give her a couple camels and some sheep and goats and all that stuff that you have. And I think here's an interesting dynamic because parents sometimes we do have to allow our kids to go through their own lessons to learn dependence upon God and not on ourselves. And that's a hard thing for parents who can help physically, financially, if you will. It's, it's much easier if you're poor and you're like, you got to go. We only got so much up in here and you're old enough to go figure it out. And you just let them go. Like, I'll be praying for you. No, it's, it's much harder when you can actually bless them with much. But you have to say, no, 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 no. You have to learn dependence upon the Lord. So that's, that's kind of a dynamic that I see taking place here. So this idea of center away, God's solution was clear. Get rid of the son of the flesh. There was to be no re- reconciliation with the flesh, no peaceful coexistence. The son of the flesh must simply be put away forever. And so we see a, a dynamic here. And you might think to yourself, well, Johnny, would God use the history of these people and their lives to be able to show a spiritual lesson? Yeah, we have the example of Moses, right? And Moses was clearly told for the second time, speak to the rock and water is going to graciously come out and be provided for my children. And in anger, what does Moses do? He strikes the rock, but he can't do that. Why? Because Jesus is the rock. And the rock was to be stricken once on the cross and then forever reign. And all we have to do is speak to him. And he's messing up the typology. And God's big on typology because if everything is pointing to God and the Messiah and the promised one, then the scriptures have to be, you know, they have to flow in that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 would tell us that Jesus is the rock and all of that stuff of the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus, okay? So if you have your Bibles, hold your place in Genesis. Let's jump over to Galatians chapter 4 and let's see what the scriptures say about this exact account that we're reading about in the New Testament. And so you have this shadow, you have this picture in the Old Testament, you have this typology, and the New Testament is going to shed light. It's going to flash a light, shine a light, flash a light. I was thinking flashlight. Shine a light on what's taking place here. So in Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 21 through 31, notice what the Bible says. Tell me, You who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. Whoa, that's exactly what we're reading about right here. Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, Hagar, the other by a free woman, Sarah. Goes on to say in verse 23, but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, And he of the free woman through promise. So now we have a work of the flesh and we have the promises of God. Now we have an opportunity to see that we can do things in our own strength or we can rely upon the Lord as we walk in the spirit. We can try to put fingerprints all over life and on other people's lives and trying to control things. Or we can stand back and surrender. In Galatians, it's called the work or the works of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is something that we surrender to, something that we yield to, something that we allow God to flow in and then through us. 
And there's no striving. There's no sweat. The priests were not allowed to wear linen when they served God. Why? God didn't want to have the people see him sweat. You're not supposed to claim that it's hard. It's hard serving the Lord. You don't, you don't even understand, man. I just, man, I'm the only one doing this. Calm down, 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Calm down, prophet of God. But we like to sometimes put it out that it's, it's hard. You flow. You just, you let the Lord. And so the son of promise and the, the son of the flesh, if you will, which things, verse 24 says, are symbolic. For these are two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who did not, do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. What's the application for us? The solution is the same in our own battle between trusting in the flesh and trusting in the Holy Spirit. Cast out this bondwoman and her son. Law and grace cannot live together as principles for our Christian life. And there is no question we belong to the free, not the bondwoman. Are we walking in the freedom that Christ has for us? Are we being led of the Spirit? Are we yielded and surrendered to what God wants to do first in us so that he can do that through us? Or are we in our own strength, white-knuckling it, trying as hard as we can to keep this thing going? I gotta, just, just, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I got to do it. Really? Surrender. Throw your hands up. You ever see uh, cops? I used to watch that all the time. I don't know if it's on anymore. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? Okay. The dog comes out. When they let the dog out, you're going. You're going in the back of that car. You can go easy or you can go hard. So we got to go easy. Just surrender. Just throw your hands up. Just say, Lord, mercy. Sorry. Verse 15 in Genesis. Jump back over to Genesis chapter 21. Yeah, 15. And the water and the skin was used up. Yes, yes. So we're back to... Hagar, and look at the care that God gives to Hagar and Ishmael. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. So Hagar believes, dang, Abraham, all you did was give us like a skin of water and a couple crackers. And she's thinking, I'm going to put him under a shrub, under a bush. I'm going to watch my boy die. I'm going to watch my son die. And he cries out to the Lord. Verse 16. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice up and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, verse 17. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad 
where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife from him from the land of Egypt. What a beautiful little account of the fact that God goes again after that straying one that leaves the 99 in the safety of the corral to go after that one that is straying. God knows whose are his. He knows who belongs to him. And he's going to get all of his sheep into the corral. And just a beautiful thing. And maybe with insight, maybe with foresight, Abraham was able to see this and he thought to himself, she's got to be dependent upon God. She's got to learn how to look to God. She's got to learn how to trust in God on her own. And maybe that's why he only gave her what he gave her. And look at what you see, the result right here. She's looking to God. This last little section is a picture of maturity as we see Abraham meet with Abimelech, a king. Verse 22, And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Pickle, I'm going to name him Pickle because I like pickles, and I don't know how you pronounce that. Fick, Chal, I'm going to say Pickle. The commander of his army spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the lad in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. So the first picture of maturity is one of humility. Abraham didn't go, in, go around telling everyone, man, I walk with God. I know God. God chose me to be the father of a nation. God plucked me out of Ur of the Chaldees. Told me to go. He doesn't do any of that. There's no boasting. He just lives his life, surrendered to the Lord. And people look on and they say, man, Abraham, God is with you. God is blessing you. There's a humility on Abraham's part. Moving on. Abimelech sees that God is with Abraham. Abraham didn't need to point it out. Verse 25. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servant had seized. Number two, we see honesty on Abraham's part. Oftentimes when we're commended or somebody gives us a compliment, we're scared to speak truth. Oh man, I was going to tell you that you're taking up my parking space, but now I'm just going to leave it alone. No, no, no. He's honest. Hey, by the way, there's a well that your boys are messing with that I dug, my men have dug, and you guys are doing something with it. And so there's an honesty and again, this is a picture of maturity. Notice what God has wrought out of this man's life in these 25 years. He's a mature man of God. First humility, now honesty, verse 26. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard it until today. So number three, we see charity. We see him walking in love. He takes him at his word. He believes him. To take at face value what Abimelech is saying, Abraham is walking in love. Oh, okay, you didn't know. That's cool. Well, let's do this then. Verse 27. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. Number four, we see wisdom as Abraham is a mature man. To make a covenant with Abimelech. 
He's going to do exactly what God did and God instructed him to do. In that culture, how do you make a testament, a covenant, a, a, a not a lease, but a contract? You take animals, you split them in two, you walk in between them. You grab the wrist and you say, hey, if, this, if we break this covenant, let it be exactly like these animals. We'll end up like these animals. And so, verse 29, then Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these I'm sorry, verse 28. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flocks by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba because the two of them swore an oath there. Beersheba is a place that's going to be mentioned over and over throughout the nation of Israel's history, and they're going to constantly come back to that place. We'll see that over and over as we go through Genesis. So the next uh, thing of a mature man, generosity, which would be a living reminder of an agreement they made. And so he gives them all of this stuff, these seven lambs, as a reminder. And then, yeah, that's the end, generosity. We see humility, honesty, charity, wisdom, generosity. Abraham provides a picture of maturity for people who walk by faith. Verse 32, thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Pickle, same name, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistine many days. So Abraham has this encounter. Abraham is going through life and he has these moments where he just realizes, I want to do something for God. He plants a tree. A reminder of this everlasting God. A lover of God finds a way to plant a tree and say, Lord, this is for you. A lover of God finds a way to break the alabaster box and say, this is my dowry. I'm giving it to you, Mark 14. A lover of God finds a way to dance in his undergarments before the Lord, 2 Samuel 6.14, as he rejoices, doesn't care what he looks like. This is for the Lord. A lover of God finds himself jumping in the water for breakfast with the Lord on the shore, only to be restored, John chapter 21. A lover of God finds, a, finds ways of fresh, personal, intimate expression others may never see. As a result, Abraham discovered the everlasting God. A new aspect of God's nature for fresh revelation only follows true worship. And again, these are private things. These are moments in time where we just, in adoration for God, moments of just reflecting on the goodness of God and what he's doing in your life. And you'll just have these moments where it's like, Lord, I just, I want to do this for you. A lover of God finds those ways. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Abraham, this man that is maturing in his faith. And to see where he has come from, Lord, and where you've brought him to, Lord, we, with excitement, know that you are growing us up as well. That your desire is to mature us into men and women of God. And so, Lord, may we not rely on the flesh, May we not lean to the arm of our understanding, but Lord, may we truly walk by faith and not by sight. 
yielded, surrendered, not striving, not working, just allowing you to flow innocent through us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.